Hello and welcome to PhD Pending, the podcast for early career humanities scholars. Each episode will discuss a different aspect of PhD life, sharing both the ups and downs so that all your other PhDs out there can see that you're not alone. And so that those of you considering a PhD can get an idea of what you're in for. I'm Anne and I research drama and contemporary literature. I'm Jenny, I'm a 19th century British romanticist. I'm Aideen and I research 19th century Irish women's fiction. And this is PhD Pending. everyone and welcome back to PhD Pending. In this week's episode we want to focus on a topic that is more about the work-life balance side of our PhDs and that is dating. We all know that it's really hard to keep a work-life balance during the PhD and to make time for the good things in life. So today we're going to share our experiences, both good and bad, with dating during our PhDs. Exactly, and all three of us have had different dating experiences over the courses of our PhDs, so we're going to start by sharing those. For myself, I'm in a long-term relationship, so it'll be five years this year. And I met my boyfriend when I lived in Northern Ireland and during my PMA. Uh, And then I had a year break for my PhD. So we were friends for a year first and it happened kind of just naturally over a period of a few weeks. So it was very different to any other dating experience I would have had. And to put it delicately, you know, usually I think you meet someone. (laughs) You meet someone on a night out and then they're just your boyfriend and that's kind of it. That's how this happens in this country, really? No, in your early 20s, Jenny. <laughs> We're all too old for it now. I didn't foresee this happening. My boyfriend was just, he was just really nice to me. And I think that's all it takes, really, isn't it? Um, <laughs> like, low standards. Um, but yeah, I think he just, he asked me in person, sober, to go on a date. And I was so fucking alarmed. I just said yes, even though I was like, what? But yeah, and so I think before that, that would never have been my experience of dating. Um, and there's no in between, is there? Well, for me anyway. So I was either, it was either, you know, a drunken fumble turns into a relationship or it's like Wuthering Heights level of toxic. You know, the more they ignore your texts, the more they love you. <laughs> Haven't we all been there? <laughs> yeah. So in terms of how to actually meet someone during a PhD, I wouldn't be able to advise, I suppose, is my point. Um, what about you, Anne? What was your dating experience like? Because you were single starting the PhD, weren't you? Yeah, I was single starting the PhD, uh, mainly because I moved countries for the program. So there wasn't really much, you know, to... That's why, yeah. Well, I did have a bit of a dry spell before coming up. <laughs> <laughs> there we go there's the honesty we're like... <laughs> um so i can really relate to what you were talking about in terms of like toxicity and stuff because i feel like we've we all have this period in our 20s where we have to realize that some men really are douchebags and we shouldn't be we have to realize that engaging with certain kinds of people some people just take longer for that learning curve jennifer okay. i'm just gonna <laughs> put that out there yeah but i look back on all those times with such fond memories though i'm Same. like oh. Yeah, all those nights waiting up for someone to text you back and then it'd be like seven months later and you'd be like, oh, I knew it'd be, <laughs> I knew it'd be soon. <laughs> Haven't we all been there? <laughs> so yeah, um, I moved over and for the first two weeks, I think 
I was wrapped up in, you know, getting my life sorted here, starting the program, and I kind of dibble dabbled in like some online dating. I was on Tinder, I was on Bumble, um, just because I still had the apps. Um, and I can't actually remember if I did go on a date. It was more like a chatting, and then the usual online dating thing happens that the the chats just like lead to nothing, essentially. Uh, but after two weeks of being here, um, I met a guy at a bar and he was the barkeeper and I walked up to him with a promo token for a free drink and he refused me the free drink. <laughs> it was love at first sight, obviously. Up until that moment, I was like, oh, so you were the main character. And now I'm like, oh, no, never mind. <laughs> And he made a joke about it, and that's kind of how um, things started off, because uh, then we were chatting for a while. And then, obviously, you have to get used to dating in a new environment, um, and in a new country, and a new culture, and that obviously took a bit. But yeah, this is essentially my story. We've been together ever since. Uh, we moved in together um, in the last like six months of my PhD, not even six months, in the last two months of my PhD. So we can talk about that later. But that is essentially my narrative arc across my PhD in terms of boys. What about yourself, Jenny? Okay, guys, let's settle in for my sob story since y'all are both so happy in your relationships. <laughs> I came over to Ireland for my master's immediately after my undergrad. I made friends with this guy. He was great. We were he was probably my best friend throughout our masters. The last couple of months of my masters, we started dating. I, by then, I had already decided I wanted to do a PhD. He may or may not have had something to do with that, um, that I wanted to do my PhD here in Cork. I went home for three months. I did my PhD application. I came back in January. I started my PhD. And then six months later, we broke up. And that was shit. Guys, I was a basket case for a while. Um, and since then, I've been essentially single. I've dated a bit, I've flirted a bit, and, but I'm happy being me, honestly. I realized that I like me time and my research and my binge watching and my trash reading way more than I like going out and meeting new people. And then quarantine happened and new people just kind of dropped off the map entirely. So thank God for COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm not single by choice anymore. I'm single because it's healthy for the country. I don't know. The matter no one asks for. Doing your bit. Exactly. So that's my sob story, if you will. People with partners who go on actual dates or used to go on actual dates, I guess going out for dates is less a thing anymore. But how did you make time for your partners? How do you make time for your partners, for your dates, for special nights out? How do you balance the whole dating and PhD work thing? Like, how do you keep those scales relatively even? To be honest, it was easy enough for me. Um, I moved back to Waterford for my PhD in 2017. And my boyfriend didn't move down until November 2020. So for about two and a half years, we were only seeing each other every six weeks to two months at a time anyway. So when we were first together, we'd lived in each other's pockets for the first six months, as you do. Um, we lived a few doors down from each other. So I thought it would be a huge shock to the system to suddenly be apart. Aww. I know my friends at the time, his friends at the time, we were all like, this isn't going to work. Um, so, But no one was more surprised than us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think 
because I moved home and my nephew was just born. Like my nephew was a day old when I moved home or two days old. Um, so that was a nice distraction. I didn't care about my boyfriend because I had my little nephew there. Um, Replaced one man with another. Got it. Yeah. And I think as well, because I was working full time, I just didn't really have time to worry about it. And we just kind of took it one week at a time. There was never a, you know, oh God, we'll reevaluate the relationship, you know, in, in so many, in, I think as well, because I've been in a long term, long distance relationship before, a longer distance than just the north of Ireland. But as I'll talk about in a minute, the public transport system makes it feel longer. <laughs> <laughs> but I think because there was like a, an end date in sight for that previous relationship, that probably put more pressure on it. Um, because you're constantly just wishing the year away almost, which isn't healthy. Um, whereas because we had no end date in sight, it didn't matter. We were just like, we'll see each other when we can, can fit it in. You had your routine going. That's it. Like, and the weeks kind of flew or whatever. And then he was in, in on placement in Belfast for a year. So what I'd do is if I was able to go up, um, because his hours could be, you know, seven days a week, night shift, morning shift, I would go up on public transport. Obviously, I didn't drive at the time. But I would have a good five, six hours straight of being able to get work done on the way up, which meant then when I got up there for the weekend, I could relax. I, I had some work done, you know, whatever. And then I, obviously then when I started driving myself up, I got there in half the time because it, like Ireland, for anyone who doesn't know, Ireland's public transport system entirely runs off the idea that nothing exists outside of Belfast or Dublin. So you have to go through both of those cities to get fucking anywhere. So it always made the journey much longer. But once I was able to drive up then, what I'd do is I'd just drive up half the time and I'd maybe listen to a podcast on the way to get it feel like I had a bit of work done. And then when I get there, when he was at work, I'd go take myself to a nice cafe and work away for a few hours. So you you find a way to fit it in. But I think what you don't want to do is to negate, you know, it can't be a case of, oh, well, I'm only going to go on a date this weekend if I get this done. Um, I think it will naturally become a motivator to get things done. You can't entirely ignore someone just for your sake. That means that you just, your system isn't working. Um, but there have been times where I was supposed to go up and I just had a big deadline and I just was swamped and I just was like, I'm really sorry, I can't come up. And he was very understanding about it. And now obviously that we're in COVID and he lives here, <laughs> we can't. You wish back to all times. <laughs> it's grand because he works most of the time from home he only has to go into the office every now and then we kind of have the same working hours so it works fine and we can't really go anywhere because everywhere is closed but we do make an effort to like cook a nice meal together and just have a bottle of wine or whatever at the weekends or we'll always make an effort to go on a big coastal walk with a hot chocolates or coffees or something now look don't get me wrong he does he does distract me a lot but that's more like showing me youtube fail videos or just like fucking appearing out of the wall and give me a heart attack like he'll just i'll just turn around and he'll just be standing behind me is he a cat what <laughs> he's very soft-footed for for a tall man with big feet he's very soft-footed but yeah what about you Anne? how do you kind of prioritize spending time together but also ensuring you get your work done and you're on different schedules as well so there's an additional kind of hurdle there yeah I mean first things first um after hearing what you said and after having gone through the process myself I think there's a strong case to be made for long distance relationships when it comes to a work-life balance um I didn't have that for my PhD but I did have it for one of my undergrads and um that was all the way across Germany so it would take me 
six hours on a train um, to get there um, or fly for an hour and a half. And I really came to appreciate this work time on Fridays and Sundays, these six hours, because at that time there was still no Wi-Fi on trains Mm -hmm. and it just made work so easy and really easy to focus. I did enjoy that a lot. I mean, obviously you still miss your partner, all of that, but what you said about really being conscious about how you divide up your time and when you work and when you don't work, I think that definitely taught me lessons going forward, even when that relationship ended, uh, just in terms of how I organize my work and where I can work best. I mean, I didn't sit myself on a train for six hours again to be able to get a full week's worth of work in, yeah. but you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just It just made me conscious of how I work best and when I work best and uh, it also made it easier to then free up the entire weekend and don't feel guilty and and just enjoy the time without having to work right yeah now coming back to the original question about how I make time for my partner and how I balance dating and PhD my partner would say, it's a you problem. And it was very much a me problem the first couple of months when we started going out. <laughs> what do you because... mean? <laughs> <laughs> because when, okay, I've talked about this before, right? The, the first couple of months of my PhD, or basically the first year of my PhD, I struggled with work-life balance um, and productivity. Um, and I had, I felt this obligation to be working seven days a week. And I would always take stuff home from the office uh, that I didn't get around to do. When I was at home, I would get frustrated. And it was a constant loop of this frustration and less productivity. And that also reflected, you know, a small bit on the relationship and on the dating process the first couple of months. Uh, Because obviously I would feel guilty if I take some time off for a date night or for a date day on the weekends. I would spend time with him. Uh, which was amazing, but I always had this nagging feeling in my head that I should be working. Yeah, I get it when I watch Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> and then I hit next episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this kind of, and again, it is a me problem. And that sorted itself out as soon as I, you know, got my productivity in order and got my working hours into order. And when I was conscious of treating the PhD like a job and doing a nine to five situation, all of that tension that I had created because I always felt so guilty and reflected that onto him. Again, very much a me problem. Um, I will end up sounding absolutely mental, but I'm sure like we all can relate to this nagging feeling of having to constantly work, right? And that kind of affecting other areas in your life. Um, as soon as I had sorted that with myself, um, couple of the tensions just like naturally went away so that was um, a big learning curve for me um so after that you know we live very close uh we were about two minutes apart his house was two minutes away from mine um so we would see each other quite often even on short notice um he was still in college at the time so we had similar schedules we were fairly flexible now with him working like late shifts um to support his degree um that made it difficult sometimes especially around the weekends when i 
try to really like take the weekends off, he would have work shifts um, and late work shifts. So it wasn't a case of he's working Saturday night, uh, but we have a really nice brunch planned on Sunday. Um, so just having to accommodate these different schedules, I think, um, made it quite hard. And it took a lot of communication and trial and error to like work around that so that we're both happy, um, if that makes sense. Um, and on that note, how do you feel about the PhD and did that have you know, an impact um, on your dating life and relationships that, that we have. Um, you know, a PhD is not always um, easy sailing, you know, lemon squeezy. Um, <laughs> lemon squeezy, as we all know. adorable. How old are you? <laughs> <laughs> Granny Annie over there. <laughs> oh, please, can we make that a running yes. thing? Can we call her Granny Annie? <laughs> So I'm wondering, has the PhD and the struggles uh, that come with the PhD had an impact on your dating life um, or on our relationships? And maybe there were good and bad ones. Now, um, my main thing is the me problem about not being able to schedule my work properly. That was one of the main things. Um, but also one of the really good things is that my partner is our like research interests overlap to a certain degree so I really enjoyed bouncing ideas off of him and just chatting um, through my stuff or even through my teaching and just getting a different perspective now we're going to um, the same college we're attending the same college uh, just on different levels um, we had overlapping stuff that we worked with uh, so it was always like very nice and i remember very fondly the times when we meet we would meet um on campus in a cafe and just sit there and watch people and chat through the stuff that we were working on um that day or that week um so we created these kind of like small pockets um in a work day that were was just for us and we would always run into people that we'd know it was very nice that our life like was intertwined like that um until he finished his his first degree obviously now that changed with covid and the fact that we now live together. The shine is off the apple a bit. <laughs> <laughs> now we just sit on the sofa and do nothing. <laughs> but this is very much, you know, due to uh, due to quarantine. But what is still good is that we can still bounce ideas back and forth. And I think that has been so valuable because it's great to talk to your cohort. But also sometimes it's great to just get an outside perspective on certain things um, and it's nice to have someone at the proximity of where you're at um, at work that and that someone isn't like fully involved at the same time so I found that really nice what about yourself Jenny any I know you've dated you've done some dating around <laughs> Thank you, Anne. I loved that finger gesture, by the way, for those of you who can't see, like that was a Wicked Witch finger wiggle thingy going on. <laughs> what do you do to men that she's doing a witch? <laughs> well, <laughs> Granny Annie is going off. I'm just going to run with this, Anne. I do apologize. <laughs> this is not an actual comment on Great. or anything. Oh. I have done a little bit of the online dating thing. I'm on Bumble. 
nominally sort of I feel kind of icky on dating apps I'm not gonna lie like it's like amazoning people and that's just not something that I'm real comfortable with but one of the nice things about the PhD I guess that I've noticed or that I've realized is that I'm essentially a selfish person so I was talking to this guy on Bumble a few months ago and he was very very sweet who's really interesting had really interesting life experiences and I realized that I kept putting off messaging him because I would rather work on my research instead and I didn't want to get into a whole conversation exchange and like we finally did the whole coffee and walk meetup because that is online dating right now is going for a coffee and a walk and the entire time I was checking my watch I was like okay when's when's the polite amount of time that I have to wait. Oh, shit. Oh. Jesus, he can't, he can't have been that bad. Wow. That must have been one bad day. Jesus. It wasn't bad. Like, it wasn't, he wasn't rude. He was perfectly nice. I was pleasant, I'm sure. Uh, but just, like, I... Are you sure? Are you? I am a perfectly pleasant person, and at all times, that was kind of my light bulb moment when I realized that that's, dating is just not where my priorities are right now. I don't really care to get into a relationship that's a complication to my work life that I don't really want to have at this point. And I'm also very conscientious of the fact that I'm probably going to be leaving Ireland in the next four or five months. That once my PhD is over, I am probably going back to the States to look for a job or going elsewhere in the world to look for a job because let's be honest, Irish universities aren't hiring very many people right now. So any relationship that I get into is either going to have that definitive timestamp of, by the way, in June this is ending, or in June this is going to become potentially very long distance. How do you feel about Texas? Want to move with me? Like, that's, um, at this point, you know, pursuing a relationship is not really what I'm looking for. Um, but that has been my realization with the PhD, is that I have certain priorities and putting a man in my life is not one of them, really. Um, certainly not at this stage in my life, you know, maybe further down the road road or maybe I just become crazy single aunt who has lots of cats and buys expensive presents for all the nieces and nephews. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Granny Jenny. Auntie. It works Auntie both ways, Jenny. Jennifer. <laughs> Thank you very much, Anne. Auntie, not Granny. You gotta have kids to be a Granny. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Aideen, what about you? How has the PhD impacted your dating life? Um, It hasn't really had any negative impact as such obviously it's stressful doing a phd so i completely understand where those kind of preconceptions come from that if you're doing a phd in literature all you do is lounge around reading like i wish <laughs> <laughs> i wish that was that um that's what i thought it would be like i was grossly grossly <laughs> i think sometimes it's very frustrating when people are trying to be really supportive but you know for example my boyfriend might try drag me away from the computer and sometimes I that's needed sometimes you need someone to step in and go all right enough for one day but sometimes you're like can you honestly just get out and leave me I'm on a roll <laughs> <laughs> but I think the the only time me and my boyfriend have a bit of friction around the PhD is when he tries to teach me things like I haven't already told him about them <laughs> it really <laughs> really wrecks my head so like we'll bicker over things like that like that's when we're really getting into it <laughs> so then like I'll tell him stop mansplaining and then he gets really annoyed that I said mansplaining and then he'll mansplain to me what mansplaining is um <laughs> the snake eats its tail it sounds like <laughs> yeah. yeah 
But yeah, for the, like for example, I was on with a one-to-one with a student the other day and I have the door handle taken off the outside of our bedroom so he'll stop walking in randomly. <laughs> and But I forgot to, to take it off. <laughs> and what do you know? He walked in. So I all I could see was I was chatting to the student about an assignment and all I could see was her eyes just start to like widen and glaze over. And I just kind of... <laughs> just turned really quickly and he was just standing there but I hadn't heard him come in or anything and I was like I could have been murdered and you said nothing like the student just stood there she was like I was so alarmed I didn't know what to say (laughs) so like there's small things like that but I think for the most part it's helped my relationship which sounds odd but like I'm very uncharacteristically a calm girlfriend that's not in my nature but I am <laughs> uh these days you know with small things like I think when you're very satisfied in what you're doing and focused on what you're doing it makes it far easier to be more chill about things um you know for example like when we were long distance we didn't have a phone call every day I didn't wait up to hear when he got back in from an island <laughs> like I just was like okay talk to you soon and now that he's moved in like that hasn't changed so it hasn't impacted any of my social events for the PhD you know the first few years when I was long distance I did lots of things for the paper I did a lot of public speaking events um I was able to travel to conferences without having to you know check if it's okay if it was interfering with a date night um and, you know, there would often be the time, even even since he's moved down, where I'll just text him and go, sorry, I'm not coming back from court tonight. I got drunk with Sarah. I can't drive home. <laughs> you know, and and he'd just be like, oh, no worries. See you, again. Like, see you tomorrow. Like, there was no... I think because we're both very content in what we're doing, we don't worry about having to mm. run things past each other as such, you know. Um, and I think as well, now that we live together, he sees how much work is involved um you know between the research the writing the teaching prep actual teaching correcting responsibilities at home then as well so it's nice to have that support there so he'll like sometimes you know he'll do the cleaning for me the odd time <laughs> if, if I'm trying to help my brother with his homeschooling or you know if I'm working on something late um or if my mom needs the food shop done he'll run in and do it or you know small things that take the pressure off so I think as well, he's very good to take me out of my head a lot as well. If I'm getting bogged down and stuff, um, research-wise or whatever, he'll kind of pull me away from the desk. So I don't think it's impacted as such. Obviously, there's the day-to-day stresses when you're having a really stressful day, your chapter isn't working, and you have someone coming in trying to show you fail videos on YouTube, and you're just like, this isn't a priority at the moment. But I suppose not to take my word for it, I'm going to just quickly include a clip that... We quickly recorded off the cuff. So, Dylan, I'll use your actual name. Um, what was the impact, do you think, of me doing a PhD on our relationship, negative or positive? Uh, well, the most obvious thing was that when I was finishing at university, my undergrad, I didn't really know where we were going to move because we're from two different kind of sides of the island. Uh, your PhD basically made the decision for us that I would be moving down south and uh, <laughs> yes uh, uh, in terms of location and obviously where I would be looking for a job and things like that that was probably the primary impact other than that yeah I mean just you know 
your stresses or what takes up your time or things like that or things that weigh heavily on you a lot of that can be the phd so of course it becomes like a topic of conversation and it becomes something that's very present in the relationship because it's present in your life and it's a big part of your life but uh yeah so in those two aspects yeah but primarily it it's the reason for where we're standing right now fair i didn't consider that in anything positive other than that day-to-day like positive in day-to-day or negative in day-to-day whichever oh uh i don't really know i mean i day-to-day i it doesn't cross my mind uh when we spend time together unless it's the topic of conversation so no i wouldn't say it has some like major impact day-to-day it's not in the foreground uh Mm -hmm. in our day-to-day lives for the most part, it hasn't impacted because I think as like a learning curve, I think I would say from even a previous long distance relationship is to focus on you and what you want to do. The relationship naturally benefits from that. So, yeah, I think that's kind of it hasn't impacted as such. It's only been a positive, really. Uh, what about you, Annie? Uh, Annie. <laughs> what about you, Dr. Mahler? <laughs> um, Annie, fun date relationship related stories for us not necessarily like anecdotes as such I think um just the last year of my PhD in combination with my relationship was a bit wild mainly because COVID hit and I was very torn between staying here in Ireland um or going back home for a while um in March 2020 uh when the campus closures first happened and um you feel very torn when your family is in one country and your partner is in another country you wish you could split yourself in half and be there for both and obviously in March 2020 we didn't know how long of a process this was going to be right two Um, weeks they sent us home for the two weeks the two weeks they sent us home for I said I would um go home and support my mom um and just be there in case something happens to the grandparents and those two weeks turned into four months of forced long distance relationship and that was you know in the last six months of finishing the PhD and that was quite a struggle that was pandemic induced um also because my lease was up (laughs) in those four months that I was back home so I came back to basically being homeless here in Ireland (laughs) um and not ideal really (laughs) really not that ideal so in the last two months of before submission of before written submission of my PhD I um, a was in a long distance relationship that went in for four months instead of two weeks and the added pressure of well I suppose we're moving in together when both of our leases are up yeah. <laughs> and and the added pressure of let's try and find a place to live in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> yeah. um, and the added pressure of right I'm gonna move back into his house share and we're gonna share a room um, after not really having seen each other for four months so that was quite a lot to get used to and you know you just have to really check in with yourself and say you need to be like open-minded to the other person's needs and um 
he was great about it. He, you know, put a desk up in his room um, and created a workspace for me so I could work interruptedly. And um, it just worked really well. And I'm very grateful that, you know, he took these measures. Now, I did talk to him about, so how do you feel about me doing a PhD in preparation for this episode? And I really tried to squeeze a good story out of him. But he was very nonchalant about it. He just said, well, you're so pragmatic. You're treating the PhD as a nine to five. So it didn't have an impact on our relationship. <laughs> so I wish I had it. I just wish I had a really juicy story. But there's really like no story there as such. Um, I think the moving in process just like six weeks before I submitted my PhD was quite something and I wouldn't necessarily recommend that to people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then again, it's all about your mindset, right? Um, life can throw so much different things at you and um, you might go through a tough time in your relationship and you just have to see how you make that work for your own work. Um, that might mean that you just dive headfirst into your work and just forget about the rest, which I'm sure isn't like the healthy option, but you know, it still works. Or it's also fine to just take some time off work and just sort through everything that's going on in your life before then returning to your own work with, you know, a clear mindset. So um, not necessarily fun related stories, more like life lessons that I've learned in like the last year of trying to juggle the PhD and my relationship and a global pandemic. <laughs> so what about you, Jenny? Any any fun stories other than you trying to count down the minutes when it was polite for you to leave? <laughs> I don't have fun dating stories necessarily. I do have funny being hit on stories if we're interested in those. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so maybe it just speaks to the kind of things that I go to. I go to a lot of like poetry readings, open mic nights, uh, music nights at pubs, that sort of thing. The guys that... <laughs> and you just keep winking throughout this whole episode. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> so the kind of guys that hit on me are the kind of guys who go to these events. So more cultured guys. I'm doing air quotes for all of our listeners. What 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 does that mean? Explain a cultured guy to us. Like paint paint us a picture here. What are we looking at? The kind of guy who goes to a poetry open mic night every week and reads the same poem. Anyway, some the of, same oh one. God. We can talk about that off mic. We don't need to talk about that in this episode. But anyway, <laughs> so I go to these events with people who have done at least a little bit of reading. So they'll ask me what I do. I say I do. I'm doing a PhD. They say what on. We go through the levels of explaining your PhD and I get to, I'm doing a PhD on Mary Shelley and Frankenstein. And without fail, someone always says, did you know that Lord Byron actually wrote? And I am, I hate that so much. So I've started cutting them off. Like, did you know that Lord Byron actually fucked his sister? Like, that's just like, of course you know these things. Of course you like, do. Like, I don't care what theory you have about Lord Byron actually writing Frankenstein. Did you know, like, I have a list of Lord Byron facts. There's some creepy stuff. Nothing like a bit of incest to scare people off. I love scaring guys off who think that they know more about my research than I do. Like, did you know that Madame Tussaud actually stood under the scaffold during the French Revolution so she could catch severed heads and use them to mold faces for her wax museum like I love dropping that anecdote in the middle of a guy trying to buy me a drink 
just to see what he does and then making him jesus you really do not want to date do you <laughs> Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of self-sabotage going on. <laughs> it's probably best for the men of Cork that you just realise you don't want to date because you go around just traumatising them all. Quite possibly. Like, I am a toxic person, listeners, and you should not listen to me or do what I do. So those are my quote-unquote fun dating stories, if you will, or fun relationship stories. It's me axing relationships. But what, what, what happens then? You, you introduce the, you know, cute anecdote about incest or the cute anecdote about pedophilia and then how how do the cultured guys react also i still want a mental picture of that guy are we talking long hair are we talking short hair are we talking man bun are we talking hand knitted jumper like what's the like what's 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 a drink of choice here <laughs> okay you want a physical description paint just paint us a picture all right well Typically, when you drop an incest or pedophilia anecdote in the middle of someone trying to pick you up, that means that they just kind of walk away. If they don't just walk away, that means that they're a different kind of guy that you need to walk away from quickly, <laughs> preferably covering your drink to make sure nothing drops in. As for the physical description of them, they vary because these guys come in many facets. Um, though the one that I'm picturing to you as I am describing these interactions has longer hair, long enough to do the man bun thing, but typically does not. It's either the low ponytail or just hanging free. A little bit of scruff on the chin, a little bit skinnier than he probably needs to be, like, sensitive and thoughtful and brought his notebook to write poetry while he drinks his glass of wine or what the fuck ever. Um, which I do too, like, because I am that cultured bitch also. <laughs> the reading the same poem every time, is that not just then? Is that not just his his pickup? Is that not the same pickup he tries every week then? Is Is the poem about a woman? that he meets in a bar by any chance. Uh, some of these, you know, poetry open mic guys, people in general, like they don't necessarily have, God, I'm going to offend any poets in our audience. I'm a poet also, if that makes, if that helps things. You don't always have a well of material that means you can bring a new thing every week. So instead you pick out like your three best and you rotate them. I'm going to read this one this week and the next and poem number two the next week. And then you rotate through the few. Yeah, <laughs> not just yeah. one. But you realize that poem number two gets you a lot, of, got you a lot of applause the first week. And you like being the person who gets lots of applause for their poem at the open mic. So you read it again two weeks down the road and you read it again another two weeks down the road and you keep, you bring a certain poem or you're like, I wrote a new draft of it. You didn't write a new draft. You moved a comma three places, but yeah. um, <laughs> that sort of thing. So poetry readings, open mic readings can get a little bit masturbatory in that sense. Like it's just a lot of people enjoying themselves <laughs> and from a crowd. <laughs> we can probably cut that. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a word choice that you made. So just basically one big circle jerk at these poetry readings. Can be. And then you just stand in the middle of that circle and start talking about severed heads, incest, pedophilia, hoping to just break exactly. it up a bit. Maybe you are actually the hero of this story after all, from the sounds of it. I'm so glad I'm in a committed maybe relationship. all of this gets cut from the final draft if I'm doing the edit. And on that deliciously disturbing note of my way of... It's not the one I would have picked. I actually like it, but then I always like alliteration, so there we go. And on that deliciously disturbing note and my experiences with fending off unwanted suitors, if you will, 
Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this little glimpse into our dating experiences, such as they are during our PhDs. Reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at PhDPendingPod or send us an email to PhDPendingPod at gmail.com. Be sure to rate us five stars on your favorite podcast app. If you would like to support us financially, you can find us on Buy Me A Coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash PhDPendingPod. Thanks, guys. We'll see you in two weeks.